0: you we live and move and have our being. We thank you that we can come to you this evening in different states of mind, uh, with different thoughts, different concerns, even different aspects of health. And yet in all things we can look to you as our loving God and we know that you did send your Son to be our Savior. So bless us as we meet together as a fellowship And we do pray for those who who visit with us, and especially we pray for Glenn as he brings your word to us. Lord, give us ears to hear and minds to understand, hearts to love, wills to obey, and bodies that will serve you, for we ask it in your name. Amen. Um, There are programs at the door that you can get on the way out, just a couple of things. There's a couple of housekeeping things I need to do. Uh, Number one is breakfast. Uh, we're going to have is Fiona and Jerry here? yeah bacon rolls is it? bacon sausage and egg rolls okay so now that you know that um, that's going to be at 8 o'clock and then we're going to pray after that so you can do without the bacon sausage and egg and come for prayer come at half nine but the most important thing is I need to know uh, how many people are going to come so they know how many people to prepare for so basically if you're coming for breakfast tomorrow then please raise your hand let's quickly count that gives you a good idea okay good thank you um, and you'll see the program tomorrow that just uh, one or two mistakes um, we have the prayer breakfast and so on and then in the afternoon it says one o'clock lunch and then it also says one o'clock Uh, glenn harrison that means that should be five o'clock okay so um and then there's the seminars you can sign up for the seminars uh, and so on so i think that's that's it um matthew isn't it yeah come on up and introduce temptation to some of us
1: i'd hope temptation to all of us but i'll take some uh, hi everyone, it's been said my name is Matthew and I've brought the bookstore. you can see in this corner over here wonderful lighting by the way really high, highlights it really well uh, The bookstore I brought is from 10 of those, I work for 10 of those If you've not heard of us before, uh, we're a Christian book ministry based in Leyland, that's in Lancashire uh, a little bit south of here, just off the M6 um, and what we're all about is providing faithful books, resources uh, that are faithful to the Bible that are affordable and accessible and as a result, hopefully, hope to see people who are in Christ being encouraged to keep going and also hopefully seeing lives changed through the resources that are going out. Um, so just to say, I'm open after the session. Uh, you can come and see me if you need, if you need any help with books to buy or you've got any questions. You can pay by cash or card, um, so it's, feel free to do what you like. Just like recommend uh, two quick books. We're known for doing famous deals, and I hope this will entice you to look at the bookstall after the session. Uh, it's two books by Tim Keller, one on prayer. This is my, probably my favorite book uh, by Keller. It's chock full of scripture as he teaches us uh, the answer to the, to the disciples' question of Lord, teach us to pray. It's really helpful in understanding prayer and also in doing prayer as well. And the second book is his new book for Christmas called Hidden Christmas. And he's written this out of conviction that Christmas today has become hidden, It's become obscured by the commercialization and the secular, secularization of Christmas, that the real meaning of Christmas, the gospel message of Christmas is being hidden, obscured, and he really writes this to blow that all away and to really present Jesus uh, as the saviour of the world at Christmas. It's a really encouraging read for ourselves if we're Christians, but if we're not Christians, or if you've got Christian friend, non-Christian friends who are perhaps open to reading something of the gospel message, it be a really good gift for them. And I mention these two because usually they'd be over £30, you can get them both together for just £15, that's over half price off, or you can get them for £9, hidden Christmas, or prayer for just £8. What a bargain come and see me after the session thanks very much
0: (laughs) okay a couple of uh other things in terms of you're a visitor here the chinese christian fellowship will be meeting through in the hall uh so the there's toilets at the back there if you need to go to the toilet that's fine uh and there's also uh if you need um to uh go out and have a rest or anything like that, remove a child or anything like that, the library is uh, available, and it's, it's uh, heated. Everything's heated. So, and, I, and I believe the speakers are on in there as well. So I think that that's everything. If you are a visitor, the fire escape is the way you came in. Uh, that's the way you leave. Or you can go out uh, that way as well. And can I ask you at the end, just to make sure that you clear up um, your stuff as well, it makes it a lot easier. It's uh, my delight to welcome you, Glenn. You're very, very welcome. Uh, We're really pleased to have you here. Um, Ignore what I said about the time that we finish. Uh, You've still got 45 minutes, okay? (laughs) It's all yours. Thank you.
2: Thank you very much, uh, David. But we will not, we'll try not to, to take that time because it's a Friday night and we've all got things to do. Well, it's great to be here. Thank you so much, uh, David and the elders, for uh, inviting me to be with you this weekend. It's a huge privilege for me uh, to be up here. Uh, So thank you um, and thank you. And um, it's actually nearly half a century since I first came to Dundee, which is extraordinary, 1968. Uh, that is half century, isn't it? Yeah, in 1968. I drove here. The back of a a, f- a friend's da- dad dropped me off at the university here to read medicine, and I was here for six years. And those were six remarkable years, wonderful years when my own faith was anchored in a way that I was totally unforeseen. A love for the scriptures. I, I think an appreciation of expository ministry that I'd never had before. Uh, All of those things I discovered here in Dundee. Not in this church. This church was, was it derelict? It it looked like it from the outside, that was for sure. And it's extraordinary, isn't it, to be here uh, with God's work, having come alive uh, in this place. So, Uh, It's just great to be here. I've just got to apologise that I'm an Englishman and uh, you've just got to put up with that. But um, I've done the next best thing. My wife has come with me and I married a Glaswegian. So uh, it's great to have Louise here with me. Well, um, we're we're going to try and set ourselves up for the weekend uh, tonight. Um, So um, let's, let's read... Together, the three Bible readings that will probably frame most of our thinking this weekend. And I'd like you to turn to Genesis chapter 1, first of all. Chapter 1, verse 26. Then God said... Let us make man in our image, in our likeness, and let him rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air, over the livestock, over all the earth, and over all the creatures that move along the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him male and female. He created them. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful, increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the air and every other living thing that moves on the ground. Let's move on to Psalm 8 now, having looked at Genesis 1. Psalm 8. In my Bible which I think is somewhat similar to yours. It's page 546, Psalm 8. O Lord, our Lord. O Lord, our Lord. How majestic is your name. In all the earth you have set your glory above the heavens from the lips of children and infants You have ordained praise because of your enemies to silence the foe and the avenger. When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you have set in place. What is man that you are mindful of him, the son of man that you care for him? You made him a a little lower than the heavenly beings and crowned him with glory and honor. You made him ruler over the works of your hands and put everything under his feet. All flocks and herds and the birds of the field, the birds of the air and the fish of the sea and all that swim the paths of the sea. O Lord, our Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. And now, 1 John, John's epistle, 1 John chapter 3, his first epistle, chapter 3. How great, verse 1, how great is the love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God. And what we will be has not yet been known. But we know that when he appears, we shall, shall be like him. For we shall see him as he is. Everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. Let's just pray together. Lord, we honour you. We bow before you. Lord of the worlds, thank you that you stooped. And with the psalmist, we say to you, O Lord, our Lord, Father, We come to you and we open our hearts and we pray that you'll send your spirit to minister, to bring us the medicine of the gospel, of your word, to speak into our hearts, open our eyes. In Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Amen. Well, um, according to the... New York Times Magazine, 2015, was the year we obsessed about identity. I think obsessed might be a tad strong, actually, but but there's no denying, is there, that wherever we look, this question of identity seems to be at, at the fore. Let me give a couple of examples, um, if we can get this up. Oh, by the way, um, I've posted these... Slides, if any, of you want them, just save you taking taking notes. Although they're pretty simple slides, they're, they're a bit more detailed tomorrow. But all the slides I've I've posted up on on this website, humbly named Harrison dot com, and they'll all always need a password, Dundee, lowercase, and uh, you can go there and just if if you wanted them, people often come up and say, "Can we have the powerpoints?" So that's where that's where you can get them. So. Identity. A couple of examples. In December last year, for example, a transgender father of seven children reportedly left his father and family and wife in Toronto to start a new life as a six-year-old girl. A few months later, Rachel Dolazal, a 37-year-old apparently black civil rights activist, was accused by her parents of falsely portraying herself as black. And she admitted this was true. They said, this is our daughter, and she's masquerading as a black person. And she said, it's true. But she said, I still identify as black. I still identify as black. And, of course, these are extreme examples. We don't know the whole story of the individuals, and I certainly haven't put them up there for us to laugh in any way at them. But what we are witnessing in these kind of examples, and there's lots more we could give, is extreme examples of a much broader cultural trend afoot in our society which makes that little term, I identify as a defining feature of our age. The claimed authority to assert our own identity. It's affecting how how people think about their, their sex, their sexuality, their worth, the meaning of their lives. And this is a big topic we've, we've got this weekend and we're going to just glance over it, really. But what's the, what's the best way of trying to get our heads around this, and and how can we bring the Bible to bear on these weighty questions, not just in a way that's theoretical, but practical? Well, that's the task that we've set for ourselves this weekend. So what we're going to do tonight is try and lay some foundations for what's coming tomorrow, and we're going to do that by tonight covering four simple questions, okay? Okay. So here they are. First, what is identity? It's extraordinary. You, you know, identity is one of those issues you could spend the whole weekend talking about, and no one would actually say what it is. It's one of those terms we all assume we know what we're talking about. But if you say, no, what, what do you mean by identity? I wager If I see what do you mean by identity and you tell me it would be different from somebody over there, what they mean by identity. So to avoid spending the whole weekend talking about something that's going to mean different things, let's try and get our head around some kind of shared agreement of what we're going to mean by this term, identity. First question. Second, does it matter, this issue of identity, you know, have we just kind of dredged up a psychiatrist here, and we 're going to do some navel gazing for the weekend? Um, are, we, are we obsessing about something here that you know it might interest David Robertson there and it might interest me, but actually it 's not all that relevant you know what what 's the relevance of this topic to our lives? Is it relevant that that 's our second question Third, what is our culture saying to us about this thing, identity, and its importance. And should we be listening? Fourth and finally, what does the Bible teach us about this question? And how should we be listening to that? So those are the four questions we're setting ourselves for tonight. And by way of, of, of concluding this introduction, just let me underscore that these are topic-based talks uh, we're not working through a, a passage, we're not delving deeply into any passages, but we're seeking to understand the huge changes underway in our culture around this important area of identity and asking how does the Bible, the sweep of Scripture, its teaching, help us understand and navigate it. So, those four questions. First, what is Identity. Um, Amongst all the creatures God made human, as we read together in Psalm 8, is somebody special. Um, Humans have this remarkable capacity for self-reflection. You know, when, when, when the psalmist um, says, When I consider your heavens, the work of your fingers, then he looks back at himself. What is man that you're mindful of him, or, or the son of man that, that you consider him? This remarkable human, uniquely human capacity for the I to ask of the me, Who are you? Who are you? What are you? Where do you come from? Where are you going? What are you about? And uh, Bonhoeffer said, there's something mocking about that question. He said, who am I today? They mock me. These lonely questions of mine. Something mocking when the I asks of the me, who are you? And if you think about it, it's not... Difficult to work out, because why would the I ask me who I am if I already know? So the I is asking itself a question, apparently because it doesn't know the answer, and the person who will answer the question is myself. So it mocks me when I ask this question in lonely isolation. Who am I today? They mock me. These lonely questions of mine but but let 's imagine for a moment that the I can ask of the me who am I, and the me can stand back and take a look even deeper and come up with something that the i hasn 't seen let 's say that the me says well let 's look inside myself a bit deeper and come up with something from there we can see why this mocks us too because what i find there this morning may be different from what i'll find there tomorrow and it's certainly different from what i found there yesterday the shifting sands of our emotions and feelings the ebb and flow of our moods and our our thoughts and our ways of looking at the world you can look at the world through one set of spectacles as you know one morning and get up in a very different frame of mind the next and if the me is supplying you with the answer well who am i today well be a different answer than the one you got yesterday they mock us they mock us these questions because they're questions to which it's hard to give an answer and nobody can live like that really uh, we 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 instinctively search for for something durable for an inner core something that that'll allow us to to wake up in a different mood one day to move between different social roles up here preaching one minute at home rolling around the floor with the grandkids the next out shopping and losing my gloves the next minute we move between these different roles and a sense of inner core is what we search for that gives us a, f- a sense of being one and the same person. We're still the same person. So that's how we're going to understand identity for the rest of this weekend. It is this personal sense of inner core. You, you could think of it as the story we tell ourselves about ourselves that carries a plot line that weaves together the different bits of our lives into some sort of coherent, coherent whole. The core that allows us to move around and still, even though we're quite in different situations, white coat today and a pinafore tomorrow washing up, I'm still the same person. So our identity is this inner sense of core, the story we tell ourselves about ourselves, and of course, as we weave together that that story, we, we look for a linchpin, something to hold it all together, don't we? Um, a plot line, a plot line, something that'll give it coherence. I mean, after all, if if you think about it, um, as we look in, as we construct this story. Um, We've got our gender. That's part of it. We've got our looks and our image. We've got our nationality. Nationality is, you know, very important. Depending on our country and what the politics are at the time, it's important up here to some. And and a friend of mine who's a Belarusian spent six months in prison for for his beliefs. Not his Christian beliefs, his political beliefs, his nationality is a big part of who he is and and a strong threaded plot line in his own sense of identity. For others it's their social role, so I'm a doctor, I'm a mum, that's who I am, I'm a mum. And it's being a mum that weaves together all the other bits. It's the main plot line of my life or my status, my position that I'm held in around here is, is a way some prefer to look at it. My sexuality, I'm gay, I'm straight, I'm lesbian. I, I'm what, we, we tend to look around as we search for this inner sense of core for different aspects of our life and then we elevate one to the fore as the kind of linchpin that holds all the other bits together okay that's our identity the core the linchpin the story so having kind of agreed that's our concept of of identity let's move on now to our second question well does it really matter and I think it does You'll be relieved to know, otherwise we'll be going home, won't we? But I think it does, because uh, several reasons. I'm going to just give you two of them. A a sense of inner core brings a degree of stability to our inner world, doesn't it? it? It makes us more predictable as people. It means that the person they met... Last week, we'll behave in roughly the same way this week because the, we're guided. Most of this is under the bonnet, subconscious, but guided by this inner core that, that, that works along the same lines, that's telling the same story. So it makes us more predictable. It makes other people more predictable, and that allows us to trust one another and to build relationships and to cooperate so identity is really quite important in terms of stability of our personality. But, but then, second, a, a sense of, of personal core identity gives allows us to, to, to defer short-term goals for a longer-term goal. Because our story is aiming at some long-term outcome, some long-term goal. Um, I mean, go back to Psalm 8 and the the psalmist asks, what is man? And then goes on to answer it as one made a little lower than the heavenly beings, crowned with glory and honor, given dominion over the works of God's hands, having all things put under his feet, verse 5, 6. And obviously a a life that pivots around that sense of identity. I am someone whom God has put all things at his feet. Feet a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor, a life lived out of that identity, around that sense of purpose, all things at my feet under God's mandate, will look very different from a life that says, I'm a pile of dust, thrown together by chance in a meaningless universe. And so our inner sense of core tends to be shaped around a goal. And it's that sense of goal that allows us to to work to something bigger and more important and to put aside the less important things. And we can see that all of this, having this inner stability and being more predictable and having a long-term goal, all of this is is really um pretty important for mental health and well being people who who have had difficulty forming this core can be very hard to relate to brittle emotionally erratic um, that 's why the care of youngsters very very young children is is so important because they're developing the framework for for developing a story that they, they, they need to have in their own early experience a sense of stability to to allow them to to build this longer term story in their lives to put in place the foundations for doing that. You imagine you come home if you go home tonight and your house is different, or if if your husband's there, he doesn't look the same. He's changed. Um, or the person you thought loved you is now somebody else who seems to love you. Imagine you're a, a, a kid in care, shifted from pillar to post, from foster home to foster home. And the person who was all over you one minute and seems to care about you and love you suddenly isn't there. And now it's a new person who's all over you and cares about you and, and loves you. How do you trust this person? And suddenly they're wrenched out of your life and now you're in another place. This breaks God's heart to see this injustice we heap on our children and what it does is it makes it so hard for them to trust and to build a storyline that gives them an inner sense of core and coherence. And that's why people who've been through that are hard to have relationships with and be so brittle and erratic because they're having a problem keeping their own inner selves steady because they haven't got that inner core. And that's why as a church, we it, it's not enough to say, oh, well, your is in Christ, so you can go home now. I've got that, off you go home. You're speaking into an inner architecture which hasn't been formed. And that's why when Paul says let the word of Christ dwell in you he says it dwell in you richly as you as you do fellowship together as as the word richly is embodied in your fellowship one to another that allows people to develop those bonds of trust that gradually over time gradually brings some measure of healing and allows somebody to begin to understand what my identity is in Christ means and how, how I can begin to make that a story in my core that that lasts and that, that I can trust and so and so this issue of our identity we, we can see it 's important for for mental health it it allows us to be confident in what we're doing because we're living out of a sense of purpose Um, it means we're less enslaved to other people's expectations because we have another set of expectations which pivot around who we are and what we're here for all of that and we take so much of this for granted friends and we're increasingly in a world which doesn't have that stability because it it doesn't know what its identity is so, if if you'll agree um, with me that we we've we've kind of tried to think what identity is, and 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 now we've said is it important? If you'll agree that it is important, what 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 does our culture tell us about this? And as we've seen, and I, in many ways that um, uh, that film we looked at together expressed it so well, didn't it? Our culture says. You want to know about your identity? You say what your identity is. You define it. You assert it. It's yours for the taking, the giving. In a way, this is a relatively modern thing. It wasn't always so. Not to this degree. In in the past, people were much less less obsessed with this question because their lives were much more geographically stable and situated, and, I mean, if you were Harry's son, you were Harry's son, expected to take your place in the ongoing responsibilities of family and community and what our people around here have always done, and... Modelling yourself on those around you. The options were fewer. The expectations clearer, firmer. And your task was to make the best of the hand you'd been dealt. Been dealt a hand of cards, make the best of it. I remember when I I was 11, we had in England an an exam called the 11 plus exam. You've probably heard of that. And the 11 plus exam was destiny. It decided at age 11, depending on how you welded did it on this supposed IQ test, um, that the, it determined whether you, you went to the grammar school and therefore you had an academic career or whether you went to the technical school and, and learned some technical skills or whether you went to secondary modern upstairs with the rough boys with scuffed knees. And my hope and dream and aspiration was to go to grammar school, and to be the first person in our family to go to university. My father was a plumber. We were a very ordinary working class family in the north of England. And this was—you've you've got to think yourself—to go to university then—that it was—it was a dream, a dream. When I came up to Dundee, and I failed my eleven plus twice. And I I was so upset, and my family were were upset. But then I remember my grandmother, and she said, Look, Lynn, she tried to inject some common sense into the situation. She said, Look, Lynn, it was a great idea, but look, what we've got to understand is this. Our kind of people don't do that kind of thing. Our kind of people don't do that sort of thing. That's our script. That's the way it is around here. That's the community you inhabit. Now, your job is to make the best of the hand you've been dealt. Don't dream, but, but work it out. Our kind of people, what we do. I think there are two reasons why I didn't buy that. One was I was a, a Christian, and I, I, I wasn't entirely convinced that, our kind of people was was what was going to frame my life, that that was who I was and what God was calling me to. And also, I was a child of the 60s, and already the 60s culture was beginning to develop a new kind of individualism that, that said, you make up your mind. And, and it was born of a post- War, economic boom, really. Lots of new money suddenly was around and it was making its way into the pockets of young people like me. And pop music and the media were emerging and we were getting our haircuts. I had hair in those days. And we were very trying to be cool and, and we, we began to live lives very different to what our parents had known. And individuality was the the name of the game. And I was part of that. And and, and, and it was that in, in many ways, together with my Christian convictions, that allowed me to say to, to my grandmother, I'm going to try again. And so individualism gave birth in, in the 60s is what lies, I'd suggest, behind the, the modern extreme form that I call radical individualism, which says, I, I define myself. So, we can see from my, my own story that individualism isn't entirely a bad thing, is it? It's good to think for yourself. It's good to turn around to your granny and say, I'm sorry, I don't buy that. And, and that kind of individualism is rooted in Christian thought god holds us accountable as individuals he cares for us as individuals he cares for individuals and asks us to fight for for their justice care and well-being but that kind of individualism even the individualism of the 60s was a kind of individualism which seeks to strike a balance really between the wisdom and experience of those around us and the culture and the wisdom that we've inherited and what I think. It it sort of strike a balance between those things, you see. But modern individualism has ramped that up to another level. Here, the balance of authority between the self and the reality it inhabits tips decisively in favour of the self. It insists our highest loyalty is to the self. It's a kind of imperialism of the self that makes I identify as the peak of its claim to authority. Another name for this is expressive individualism. Expressive individualism—a bit of a history behind that term, but but it, it. Why call it expressive? Because what it's saying is, if you want to see who you are, you've you've got to look deep within, and what you find there, let it out, express the you that that lies buried there. In fact, if if you're, you're interested in in church history, you'll know that the ancient Gnosticism, one of the One of Christianity's most dangerous heresies. Um, One of its hallmarks was this search for the inner you, the real you. The body, the outer you is not important. It's the inner you, the light which has to be expressed. That's the route to transcendence, to spirituality. And we see it today. Be yourself. Look inside. Don't, Don't take what folks say. Look inside and... And express that. Let it out. Over and over again we, we hear this in the media. And that is one of the defining features of our age. Set that person free. And you know folks, if reality won't fall into line with what you find inside. You redefine reality. Not yourself. So you don't like this old body as a father of seven? You'd be a six-year-old kid then. Be yourself. You don't like being white? Be black. Doesn't reality is your servant, and you're its master. I identify as, and as we all know, it, it's a way of thinking that's woven into the popular imagination now in films and rom-coms and sitcoms and Friends and Will and Grace and Modern Family and film after film that, that tells the same story the struggle against the odds the liberation from finding yourself being who you are and it seems unstoppable almost, doesn't it? In our culture. And yet, I just wonder whether we're beginning to see the first cracks in our culture of doubt about all of this. You know, I, I'm hearing not Christians, secular people um, who are just getting uneasy. And they're saying, where's all this going? What's the end game here? Facebook, you know, uh, people often quote this, all the gender options that you can choose. We've kind of run out of them. I'm not on Facebook, but I understand. You, you, there are so many, but, but what they've done now is you, you can just customize. So gender, customize. See? You define reality because if reality doesn't fit with what you feel inside, cus- customise yourself. And it sounds good for a minute, but people aren't, aren't that stupid in the long run. They're made in the image of God. Even though it's broken and degraded and decayed, the image of God still struggles to bring grace to us and light and they sense customize where's that taking us and they're beginning to ask what if what if some of the issues that the mental health issues of eating disorders body image disorders self-harm and the, the increasing rates of self-harm undoubtedly there are at the moment amongst young people What if his, this project of self identification is just making us more anxious, more insecure, more narcissistic, more obsessed with ourselves? And people are getting a bit anxious. And I think underneath that, they're, they're just wondering what if this project I identify as just isn't the self we assert? just isn't strong enough in the end. It doesn't hold up. Who made it up? You did. Just you. Deep down we we know that. and, And we want something bigger, stronger, and deeper, and more resilient. In the end, we don't want to be asking this question in this lonely place. Our hearts cry out, will someone tell us? Who am I? You know, the Roman, Roman poet called Horace, he's got a well-known saying. He said, you may drive out nature with a pitchfork. He said, yet will she hurry back in? And what I suggest is that people made in the image of God, even though that image is Destroyed by sin, decayed in many ways, it's still, it's still there. And their hearts are restless for something deeper, more secure. So, where have we got to? We've asked, what is identity? We've asked, does it matter? We've kind of thought, I think it does. We've said, what's our, our world? telling us and we think it's selling us and what it's selling us is not is not working it's not durable it it, it doesn't create the ballast that our hearts long for so maybe we should turn to our last question what does scripture what does our bible say about this well I think we have a story I think we have a personal story that will and does bring ballast and coherence to our lives. And this story, it doesn't begin, in the beginning was me. That's what's so wonderful about it. It doesn't begin like that. It begins, in the beginning was God. In the beginning, God. Genesis chapter 1. In the beginning was the Word. John chapter 1. This story tells us he is there. And more than that, he's not silent. We're not asking these questions in loneliness, in isolation. He's spoken. And when, when he speaks, he speaks first of himself. He reveals himself. And as we saw in the film, he reveals himself in the face of Jesus. And John, speaking on behalf of all the disciples, said, we beheld his glory full of grace and truth. We like what we saw. It's good. So first he reveals himself. He reveals who he is. And then, then he reveals who we are. He reveals who he is to us, then he reveals who we are to us. For as many as received him, John says, chapter 1, to them gave he the right to be called children of God. Or how does he rework it again in... uh, uh, 1 John 3, see what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that's our story, called children of God. So our identity isn't something we have to work out for ourselves. We don't construct it ourselves, we don't discover it within. In the Christian story, our identity is God. Given. It is spoken. God speaks our identity to us. And, of course, the Bible tells us that in John, in, in, in Genesis chapter 1, that, that we are image bearers. We were made in the image and likeness of God. Um, it, it's the most wonderful wonderful thing we'll talk about it more in the morning to to be an image to bear the image of god have you begun to imagine what it is think of to bear god's image to be a mirror to his own nature to bear his image on the face of the earth as as he creates we're called to Create to have dominion, to rule as he rules, to have governance of his world here on earth in our bodies, the very image and likeness of God. And as he loves passionately, we're called to love. And as he loves covenantally, faithfully, we're called to love covenantally, faithfully in the great gift of marriage, and as he's fruitful and creates more and brings more life into being, he says, be fruitful in my image. And We bear kids and we bring new life into the world and we bring this little person in the image and likeness of God to him. It's the most wonderful gift in the world to bear the Image of Christ until in sin we broke and desecrated, spoiled it. And yet John tells us in the Gospel that Christ, who came the very image of God for us, restored that image. And now, once again, God calls us his children. In him, image bearers. And so with our imagination now, we're, we're beginning to see as we bear the image of God, it, it's something about, about being creative. And, and it's something about ruling and governing this world. It's something about being fruitful and making more of the world that God's given us. It's also something about being like Christ. It's a rich image. It's a powerful image. It's a deep, deep image that begins to shape and reshape our inner world, our inner story. And this is who you are, says John. This is what we are, child of God. Now let that loose into your imagination and into the formation of your heart. let finish with this story on the 17th of July 180 years after Jesus died 17th of July a little band of Christians were ushered into a council chamber in Carthage to stand trial 12 of them they're called the Silleton Martyrs there were 7 men 5 women And it emerges that the proconsul, Satanized, he wasn't a vicious man. He wasn't a bad man. He couldn't understand why these Christians didn't just do what everybody else did and bow the knee to Caesar and get on with their lives. But they wouldn't. And that was why they'd been brought before him as insurgents, cultural insurgents, a threat to Roman power. And he's more bewildered than angry from the documents we have. And um, one of them, Spiratus, steps forward and he's, he's got some, it's thought, documents of the scripture in his bag. But, but he points to his bag and, and, and he's, this isn't a picture of, of him but it, maybe he looked like this. But he said, I do not recognize the empire of this world but rather I serve a God whom no man has seen nor can see with these eyes. is saying my identity is not rooted in the values, the story of, of this world's empire. It cannot be. It is rooted elsewhere in the purpose and calling of God on my life. So I can't bow the knee to Caesar. And then a woman stepped forward. Her name's Secunda. And she used this term, which which became a defining term for martyrs. They, They often cried this. She said, I wish to be what I am. She said, I am a Christian. I wish to be what I am. To live out of my identity. I guess today she'd say, I want to be who I am. Christian. She was led away with the others to be hacked down with a sword. Killed. For being what she was. That's the challenge to us, friends. Um, It's our time now. It's your time. It's my time. Our culture says you build your identity around this and this or here or there. And we say no. We say we're going to be who we are now. This is who we are. This is where we stand. This is our identity in Christ. Reborn the image of God in man. Our identity in Christ. Well, that's the challenge. Tomorrow we're going to think about how that works out in this area of self-worth in the morning. And then in the afternoon, how it works out in the area of our being made sexual in the image of God. So plenty to think about there. Let's just pray together. Gracious Lord, thank you for for your word. Thank you for your spirit who brings your word to us and makes it real. And we, we long for him to do a new thing in our hearts with its truth. Because we, we want to be more than what we are for you, for your kingdom. We want to be who we are. Lord, we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, I broke my promise, didn't I, but... There we go. They're
0: used to it. Thank you so much, Glenn. Um, Just one other notice is for the seminars, uh, you register for them at 9.30.